This morning, I want to take us back to the first Easter. We celebrated this last week, but I want to take you back to the, the first Easter and particularly the first Easter evening and look at what Jesus does and says to his disciples. Jesus is going to appear to his disciples in this room and he's going to speak to them for the very first time. And when he speaks to them, he's going to make three pronouncements. He's going to say three uh, things that define the reality of what the resurrection means for them. And of course, by extension, he's going to explain to us the three realities of the resurrection that we need to hold on to as well. What I want to do before I I read the text that will be preached this morning, I just want to give, give you a little background. On the first day, Easter, Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene, it goes to the tomb of Jesus. She knows where he's buried, and when she gets there, she discovers that the stone that covered the entrance to the tomb has been removed. She is deeply concerned that someone has moved Jesus' body. So she runs and she tells Peter and John, and Peter and John run to the tomb, and they both uh, get outside the tomb. They both go into the tomb, and they see that Jesus' body is not in the tomb, and the grave clothes have been neatly arranged in the tomb as well, in which they probably understood that this probably was not a grave robbing that had taken place. John believes that Jesus is risen from the dead. Peter is, we're told in other gospel accounts, that he is wondering and amazement about these realities. Apparently, Mary Magdalene goes back to the tomb and where she encounters two angels, and then she turns and sees what she thinks is the gardener, but it's Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus addresses Mary. And she sees Jesus, the risen Jesus, and he tells her to go back to the disciples and and, and to inform them of what she has seen. And so she comes back to the disciples and she says, I have seen the Lord. And that is where we pick up our story in John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. Let me read this text for you, John 20, verses 19 to 23. This is what John writes He says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. This is God's word. What we see in this amazing encounter is that Jesus shows up and for the first time addresses his assembled disciples after his resurrection. And he makes three pronouncements of the reality of the resurrection. And the first pronouncement that he makes to them, he actually makes twice. He says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. What Jesus is doing here, I think, is he's telling the disciples that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are now at peace with God. 
Jesus has said these words to other people earlier in his ministry. In John 7, you can read that this afternoon. Jesus is, is at a dinner party where a very sinful woman comes up to him and starts to, to cry over him and to, to wash his feet. And, and, and Jesus says to her, go in peace, your sins are forgiven. I think it's the same sense here. Because Jesus in his death and resurrection has the power to forgive sins, for those who trust Jesus, his death and resurrection, they have the full forgiveness of sins and therefore they are at peace with God. This is the first resurrection reality that Jesus shares with his disciples. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is, is that through Jesus Christ, one can be justified. And what does justification mean? Justified means because of Jesus taking our sins upon himself and offering us his righteousness by faith, we can be declared to be just as if we had never sinned and just as if we were as righteous as Jesus Christ because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Romans 8, Paul says it this way, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has poured out his righteous anger for our sin on Jesus and for those who trust Jesus that his death was the only way to get back to God and because he rose from the dead and demonstrated his power to forgive sins when we trust that, that, that Jesus who died and rose again we can know that we have peace with God peace with God himself No longer are we enemies of God. We are now his friends because of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus by which he has conquered sin and all of the consequences of sin. This is amazing news. This is incredible news. And what makes this so astounding is when we realize who Jesus is talking to. Think about this. Jesus appears to his disciples. They're scared. They're, they're, they're wondering if the Jews who had, 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 had coaxed the Roman leadership to, to crucify Jesus, if, if they were coming for them next. That's why they're in a locked room. And now, Jesus appears to them, and he says to them, peace be with you. But think about the last 72 hours. Think about what happened on the night Jesus was betrayed and and arrested. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was overwhelmed with sorrow. He was in massive distress. Why? Because he was contemplating what it was going to be like for him to bear our sins on that cross. I'm sure Jesus was not looking forward to the physical aspects of crucifixion, but I don't think that's what made Jesus so overwhelmed with with sorrow and so overwhelmed with grief. He was contemplating the reality that on that cross, he would take sin upon himself. Jesus, as, as, as completely man, had never sinned at all while he was on the earth. But as God, he was fully God. He had enjoyed communion with God. He had enjoyed fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for all eternity. And now when he takes the sins upon himself, he will be separated from God the Father. And simply contemplating that. He's overwhelmed with sorrow and anguish to the point of death. The gospel writers talk about how he was sweating drops of blood, which medical people will tell us that is a sign of someone going into shock. 
He is so overwhelmed with the spiritual, emotional, and mental gravity of taking sin upon himself that he's actually going into shock. And while Jesus is stumbling around in that garden, contemplating what is going to happen to him the next day, he simply asks his followers, could you just pray for me for a bit? And they can't do it. Could you just pray for me for an hour? They keep falling asleep. They, they, they won't support him in prayer. And then when Jesus is arrested, <laughs> they, all, they all flee. They all abandon him. And then later, while he's being verbally and physically abused by the religious leaders in a kangaroo court, Peter, who not that long before had said to Jesus, even if all of, all of the other disciples run away from you, I will never leave you. I will be faithful to the end. He, he, he acts as if he's never heard of Jesus when three different people come to him and say, hey, you, you were one of the followers of Jesus. Peter says, I never knew the guy. And now, after that sorry performance for the last 72 hours, Jesus shows up as the resurrected Christ, looks at his disciples and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but, but if this happened to me, if my best friends couldn't pray with me and, 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 and abandon me when I got arrested and then, and then denied they ever knew me, I would have been tempted if I had shown up in the room and had looked at these disciples and say, hey guys, you're fired. Time to get some new disciples. Or I might have been tempted to be a little more sarcastic and say, thanks for the support. That was great. But Jesus doesn't say any of that. He looks at his disciples who've been an abject failure and says to them, because I died for your sin and rose again, you are now at peace with God himself. You no longer have to fear his condemnation because I took it on your behalf. What the disciples hear and what we need to hear is that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, his death and his resurrection, you are now at peace with God. And nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And of course, the the challenge for us is are we going to believe that? Oh, maybe it's easy to believe that on Easter morning or on Easter Sunday, but the reality is this is the the new reality of the resurrection, and this is something we need to believe every single hour of every single day of every single year for those of us who know Christ. And, of course, that's the rub. I think many of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, sometimes lose our sense of security with God because we somehow believe that our security with God and our peace with God is based on our performance. But that's exactly what Jesus is trying to dispel when he says to his sorry disciples who've had 72 hours of failure, peace be with you, peace be with you. The reality is that no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how egregious you think you have acted, no matter how sinful you may have been, no matter how bad your performance may have been the last 72 hours, and no matter what you may do in the future, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have peace with God, period, plus nothing. 
Because peace with God does not depend upon your goodness or on my goodness or on your performance or on my performance. Peace with God is dependent on one thing only, and that is Jesus died and rose again, and you are putting your faith and confidence in him to save you by what he did, not through your own goodness, your own performance, your own activity. So I'd encourage, I'd encourage all of you who know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Before you get up tomorrow morning and, and start going about your daily business, maybe when you look in the mirror, and, as you get ready to go to work or get ready to go to your living room to go to work, you have to look at that mirror and say, you have peace with God. Not because of you, not because of your performance, but because Jesus Christ died and rose again to pay the penalty for your sins and for all of us who've trusted Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, whatever failures in the past, whatever failures in the present, whatever failures in the future, we are now at peace with God. That's the first resurrection reality. Now, what is interesting about this text is that he says, uh, peace be with you at the end of verse 19. And then when we get to verse 20, he says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And in the first part of verse 21, he says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. What I think is fascinating about this is he says, peace be with you because of my death and resurrection. And then he shows them his hands and his side. And what this means is is that Jesus is not asking us to believe some fairy tale that we're at peace with God. He's he's not giving us some power of positive thinking ideas that we sort of virtually believe something that may or may not be true. He is showing his disciples that they can have confidence they have peace with God because he actually died and he actually rose again. Jesus is asking his disciples to have faith in something that is actually true. And while we can't see Jesus today, we can't see his hands and his, the, the spear wound in his side as the disciples did, God has left us with four eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, gospel eyewitness accounts that we can examine, we can query those documents with questions, we can, we can discover and, and, and understand intellectually if there is a basis for believing that Jesus died and rose again. And the reality is, If you take a look at those Gospels and if you apply uh, historical, uh, you know, um, query into the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will find that there is far more evidence to believe that Jesus actually died and rose again than most events from the same period 2,000 years ago. Because God is not asking us to believe that peace is with us because of some fairy tale. He's, he's saying you can think this through and come to a clear understanding that Jesus Christ literally died and literally rose again. And your, your faith in him and the f- peace that you have is based not on some positive thinking. It's based on real reality. It's based on truth. That's the first reality. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Now let's look at the second reality. It's in the middle of verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And then the second reality, 
the second resurrection reality. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. (laughs) The astounding reality here is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, as God the Father sent Jesus into the world to die and rise again in order to rescue the world from sin and everything, uh, all the consequences of sin, he now, by virtue of his death and resurrection, is sending us out to continue his mission to, to, that involves the restoration of the universe through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The Father sent Jesus to earth to die and rise again. But now that Jesus has died and risen again, he is looking at us and saying, you are going to continue the mission that I have accomplished here through my death and resurrection. You are going to take that message to the world. You are going to live out the power of the resurrection in your your actions, but also be ready to speak the words of hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to be part of God's great rescue effort to rescue the world from its sin. And all of the consequences of the sin. That's amazing. And it's amazing too because he gives this commission to the disciples who just had 72 hours of abject failure. But he still says because of the death and resurrection, I am sending you out. You are an integral part of my plan. And he says to us. And this is the amazing thing. I can't believe. He says to us. In spite of your failures, in spite of your weaknesses, and in spite of your, uh, the different ways you get off track, my plan to redeem the world comes through my son Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also I'm entrusting you with the same mission to carry it out into the world. We are part of the greatest mission, the greatest purpose any of us could ever have is to be sent out by Jesus to carry on his ministry to see this world remade by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At university, I, uh, I was a history major. And, of course, a history major per, does not prepare you to have any kind of a normal job. It, 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 it kind of prepares you to go to grad school. It's about all it does. But while I was in, in, in my history major, I took a World War II class. And in that World War II class, the teacher was pretty smart. It was one of these winter intercessions where they, uh, for about three weeks in January, we had classes all day. And he would lecture in the morning, but in the afternoons, he would just show us different World War II movies. And one of my favorite movies, a movie called Patton. General Patton was one of the, the, the greatest generals in, 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 in United States Army history. He was leading the Eighth Army into Europe to liberate Europe from the tyranny of Nazism. And he addresses his men at the very beginning of this film. And I'm going to summarize this for you. But Patton looks at his men and he says, you are involved in the the greatest effort to liberate mankind from the tyranny of Nazism. And one day you're going to be be so happy that you, you had the privilege of fighting in this war. Because one day you're going to be able to tell your grandchild who's sitting on your lap, I fought in the greatest war in the history of the world and I was a part of it and we liberated the world and you'll be able to tell your grandson and your granddaughter this that you fought in the greatest war ever rather than shoveling manure in Louisiana now I don't know as a 19 year old I thought that was a great quote that's I felt inspiring to me but when I read the words of Jesus' second resurrection reality 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I would have to say, Patton's quote doesn't work. Because the reality is, every one of us who has uh, believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of us who have peace with God now because we've trusted Christ alone, we are now invited to join uh, Christ in his ministry to, to redeem the world from sin through the power of the resurrection. And what that means is, your vocation, and again, I... I know we're all probably worried, you know, how many jobs will be left at the end of all this. But the reality is your chosen vocation, while that may be important to consider, important to seek God's direction, the reality is whatever you do, you are involved in the greatest mission in the world to be sent out by Jesus to see the resurrection power of Christ change the world. And you're a part of it. What that means is, is whether you're, you work on Wall Street or whether you uh, have been furloughed from your job now or whether you serve in a restaurant, whether you, you're a domestic and clean homes, whether you're a, an educator, whether you're, you're working at Chick-fil-A flipping chicken or whether you're in Louisiana shoveling manure, it doesn't matter. You have been sent by Jesus to participate in taking the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the world to see the world changed, remade, restored through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we all share in that ministry. We all share in that divine calling. And it doesn't matter if you feel weak. It doesn't matter if you fail at times. It doesn't matter if you, if you, if you feel like what I'm doing is so small it can't mean that much. No, it is a divine calling and you are part of the greatest rescue effort ever through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You need to believe that. You need to wake up in the morning and embrace that role. And it doesn't matter that we're in a pandemic now because this was true six weeks ago. It doesn't matter what you do, what kind of a job you have, or if you're struggling to keep your job, or you're struggling to find a job. This job is always with us, and it's a divine calling that ought to give us dignity. It ought to give us purpose. It ought to give us passion that Jesus Christ has called us to complete and fulfill the mission he began with his death and resurrection. That's resurrection reality number two. There's a third resurrection reality. In verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying here is that he had promised this earlier in the book of John, in John 14, John 15, John 16. He said that after he died and, and after he was risen from the dead and after he ascended to heaven, he was going to pour out his spirit to give us power. We know that right before he ascended, he, he told his disciples, you're going to receive power. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Judea and in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. What I think Jesus is doing here when he breathes on them and he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit, he is anticipating what's going to happen to them on Pentecost. What's going to happen to them seven weeks after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are going to, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them and all believers in Jesus Christ who have trusted Christ as our Savior will have the indwelling Holy Spirit that will give us the power to accomplish our mission. 
The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, and when he comes to live inside us, he is actually, in some sense, the presence of the resurrected Christ uniquely living inside us through the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that, that helps us to know that we are at peace with God. Romans says uh, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It reminds us we are children of God. We are at peace with God. It's the Spirit that helps us as we go out into the world and to become more like Jesus Christ. So that in our actions and in our responses to the world, we love our neighbor as uh, we, love, we love our neighbor. We care for our neighbor. We, we, we pray for our neighbors. We, we meet the needs of our neighbors like Jesus did. But also, as we go about loving our neighbor and caring for them, when God gives us opportunity, we will powerfully, boldly, winsomely, and in humility share the message of hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He empowers us to be witnesses to that reality. And of course, I think my question for all of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, when you got up this morning and when you got up every morning this past week, did you ask the Spirit of God to give you the power to do the things that God has called you to do? Did you ask the Spirit of God to remind you that you're a child of God? Did you ask the Spirit of God to, to, to allow you to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Did you, did you ask the Spirit of God to guide you and direct you in all of the things that you needed to do to give you the power to become more like Jesus Christ so that you could participate fully in this mission that he's given to you? The third resurrection reality. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. May we learn to depend upon the Spirit in a deeper way, in a more complete way, in a more comprehensive way, so that we will be empowered to complete the mission that God has given to us. Three realities. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God for those who have trusted Christ alone. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and for those who believe in that resurrection, we now have a mission, a purpose, more important than any other purpose, and we've been invited to share in that. And lastly, Jesus has not left us alone. He's not left us alone to do this in our own strength. We have the very presence of God himself in the Holy Spirit, the presence of the resurrected Christ, who will help us, strengthen us, and empower us to complete this mission. May we do that. To the glory of God, let me pray for us. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for these words of proclamation of the resurrection realities given to your disciples, but also given to us. And I pray for those of us who know Christ as our Savior. May we grab hold of these realities more consistently, more comprehensively. I pray that we would believe that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. May we not let our past failures or present failures or fear of the future crowd out the reality that through Jesus we have peace with God. I pray that no matter what our job situation is, no matter how much job satisfaction, maybe we're looking for a job, maybe we're deeply concerned about our job, may we realize that no matter what happens, all of us have a divine calling to be witnesses to the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ to everyone around us, that we do this in actions, but we also do it in words. And Lord, I pray that we would depend upon the Holy Spirit more deeply, more consistently, so that that Holy Spirit 
would confirm to us that we are children of God, that that Holy Spirit would make us more like Jesus Christ, and that Holy Spirit would give us boldness to live out the gospel in actions and in words in a way that will see the mission that you've given to us move forward, all based on your death and resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we close our service uh, this morning, uh, sing a great song that talks about the resurrected Christ, the glorified Christ. Crown him with many crowns.